This morning, I want to begin by showing you one of my favorite, a picture from one of my favorite scenes from one of my favorite Christmas movies. Ready? There it is, that's right. That is Ralphie wearing Aunt Claire's gift, and it is the pink footy pajama costume. This scene makes me giggle like a little kid from the moment that the camera zooms in on the uh, bunny foot stepping onto the first step and then it zooms out. Do you know why? It's because of what the dad says after this. He says two classic lines talking about Ralphie here. He looks like a deranged Easter bunny <laughs> and a pink nightmare. <laughs> and it just makes me laugh. But if, you, if we could rewind this scene to when Ralphie receives that gift from Aunt Claire. From the moment his mom says, all right, Ralphie, you're up. Here's your gift from Aunt Claire. We would see what from Ralphie? Excitement. Excitement. You would see his eyes light up. You'd see this kid tear off this wrapping paper with all this expectation of what's underneath the paper. He's anticipating something good, and then he opens it up, and oh, it's a pink bunny costume. <laughs> Have you ever received a, a gift like that where you just are wondering, what in the world was this person thinking? That's what Ralphie was thinking. If Ralphie could return this gift, he would. But unfortunately, his mom gave him the bad news that you'll only wear it when Aunt Claire's in town visiting. Uh, so he can't just get rid of it. He's got to keep it. But I'm willing to bet by, by next Thursday, you're going to look back on Christmas and, and remember that one gift that you opened and that you smiled politely, but inside you're thinking, what was that person thinking? <laughs> and, and, you know, you're smiling and you say thank you, but secretly your eyes are darting around. Is there a gift receipt in here so that I can return this thing and exchange it for something that I actually want? That's what happens. If you go to Target, if you go to Walmart, if you go to Macy's, if you go to JCPenney, if you go to any of these stores right after Christmas, what are you going to see behind the uh, customer service desk? All of the presents, all of the gifts that were rejected, that nobody wanted, and they returned. This is what happens at Christmas time. We get gifts that we want and some that we rather not have. And I wonder if that's how we sometimes receive God's gift to us on Christmas. How in the world could we ever feel that way? Jesus is the gift who takes away my sin. Why would I ever want to return Him? That makes no sense. And yet, as I said at the beginning of the service, Isaiah tells us today that's exactly what would happen. He was able to see into the future and he saw that people would want to return this gift. Isaiah was a prophet around 700. Uh, he was a prophet to the kingdom of Judah down here. Uh, in chapter 9, he did talk about the kingdom of Israel. But Isaiah was sent around 700 B.C. to the kingdom of Judah. And he was sent with a message that was twofold. Number one, kingdom of Judah, repent. Turn back to God because you're going away from God and you're getting into all this evil and you're turning away. Repent and come back. And then God allowed him to see into the future and he said, if you don't repent and come back, here's what's going to happen. A country's going to come in and take you over. 
And unfortunately, what was Isaiah's message? All of you aren't going to repent. None of you are. You're going to keep going the way you're going. And so unfortunately, that country is going to come in and take you over. But there's hope. And the hope is in the child that God would send. And starting in chapter 7, all the way through the rest of the book of Isaiah, God continues to allow Isaiah to see who this uh, child was going to be. He allowed Isaiah to describe this child with great detail. Isaiah chapter 7, what did we see? The hope was that the virgin would be with child and give birth to a son, and they would call him Emmanuel, God with us. There's hope. God is coming to be with us. Chapter 9, the people walking in darkness saw a great light. And this child would be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Isaiah chapter 11. Isaiah said, Though though Jesse's family line, the mighty kings, would be cut down to a dead stump, a shoot would stem off life from this dead family tree. And then throughout the rest of the chapters, you get a, a... more, a deeper description, a deeper description, a deeper description, until Isaiah finally gets to 53. He's offered all of this hope. And here's what he says about this child. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Isaiah sees into the future and he sees a problem. Who has believed our message? Isaiah says, I've offered all this hope. God has let me see the future and He's let me depict who this child would be and it's nothing but hope. And yet, who has believed our message? Who has believed it? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? That's a Hebrew phrase, uh, the arm of the Lord. Uh, Hebrews thought when they described how something got done, it was with the arm. uh, Because that's how you do things. You do things with your arms. And so, What does God's arm do? He works salvation. So whom has salvation been made known to? Who has it been revealed to? And who has believed our message? Why in the world would people not believe this message? Why in the world would people reject the child? Well, verse 2. He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He grew up before him like a tender shoot. Have you seen a tender shoot before? A a tender shoot would be if you have a, a tree in your front yard and then you have that little sucker that just juts right off. It's a little tiny branch that has a little green leaves. It doesn't get very big. It just sucks nutrients from, from the, the tree. It's not overly impressive. It doesn't offer shade. It's just a little shoot. Isaiah says this is how Jesus is going to be. He's not going to be overly impressive. He's not going to offer much in the way that the world looks at offering much. He's going to be a tender shoot. 
and like a root out of dry ground. Have you seen what roots out of dry ground look like? It's cracked ground, dry, uh, roots are kind of sticking up. It, it's not the beautiful scene of manicured grass as it's around the trunk of a tree. That looks nice. Root out of, roots out of dry ground don't exactly look the greatest. And now Isaiah connects the metaphor. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. You see, what happened for the next 700 years is people looked to these uh, promises of hope from Isaiah. And, and as the hope continued to build, so did the pomp and circumstances of this Messiah. And so what were people expecting? A majestic king. They were expecting someone who looked like a leader, who acted like a leader, somebody who walked around in the circles of the rich, the famous, the prominent, the powerful. And what did they get? The exact opposite. The exact opposite. He wasn't born to the princess. He was born to the peasant girl. He wasn't born in the royal palace. He was born in the podunk town of Bethlehem. He wasn't born and placed in a golden crib. He was born and placed in an itchy, scratchy feeding trough that cows ate out of. Now, you and I, we love Luke chapter 2. We love the story of Christmas. Uh, it's nostalgic for us. It's the birth of our Savior. But imagine being from first century around Jesus' time. And all this pomp and circumstances of who the Messiah was going to be has snowballed and snowballed. And then you hear the good news. The Messiah is born. Where is He? I'm headed to Jerusalem next week. Oh, no, no, no. Uh, he's born in Bethlehem. Huh. Interesting. Okay. Well, what, whose house is he staying at? I, I'm, I'm going to go to Bethlehem. I can make the journey. Well, he's not exactly in a house. He, he's, he's in a barn. He's in a barn? Yeah, he's in a barn. Well, his parents weren't... Uh, who, who, is his, who are his parents? They can't afford to, to purchase an, an inn? They, they can't buy that? They can't rent it? Well, no. They're from Nazareth. From Nazareth? Aren't, aren't these people prominent people? No. Well, where is he in Bethlehem? I'm going to go see him. Well, he's placed in a manger. In a feeding trough? You must have the wrong Messiah. Good joke. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. He didn't have the entourage. He wasn't kingly in, a, in an earthly sense. And not only that, but what else do people look for a leader? Tall, dark, and handsome, right? Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. Jesus was most likely not an attractive guy. No beauty. No majesty. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. And the people rejected him. In fact, how much so? He was despised and rejected by mankind. Well, that seems harsh just because somebody isn't, uh, you know, good-looking, he doesn't have the majesty, they're going to reject and despise him. The despising came from the message that he was preaching, right? The Pharisees despised him and rejected him. Why? Because they wanted a, a, a Savior, a Messiah, 
that kicked out the Romans and established Israel as its kingdom again. And Jesus said, that's not me. That's not me. I'm not interested in kicking out the Romans. So they despised and rejected Him. The people whom Jesus fed in the 5,000 people, they rejected Him. They loved Him when they fed, him, fed all of them from two small fish and five loaves of bread, but the next day they found Jesus and Jesus said, hey, you're looking for Me because I filled your stomachs. But I'm not your bread king. I didn't come to just feed you. I didn't come to feed your physical stomach. I came to feed your soul. And they said, ooh, we'd like to exchange you. See you later. <coughs> Even Peter, Jesus, one of Jesus' closest disciples and friends, rejected Jesus when Jesus talked about suffering and dying. Jesus said, well, I'm going to suffer and die. And Peter says, no, you're not. Why? Because that's not the Messiah Jesus wanted. Or uh, Peter wanted. Peter wanted the Messiah who was all about success, who was all about power, because if he was successful and powerful, Peter would be successful and powerful. He was despised and rejected because he was not the God they wanted. And that's our problem too. And it's your first point this morning. Our problem is we tell God what we want for Christmas. You see, just like Ralph, he had all kinds of expectations and he anticipated what was underneath that wrapped gift. We have all kinds of expectations and we have all kinds of anticipations of what that baby wrapped in cloths and placed in a manger would be. And we want to tell God who we want that child to be. We want the God we want not the one that God sent. See, we, we want to tell God, we come to God at Christmas time and we say, God, you know what I want Jesus to be? I want Him to be, be the God that's okay with the occasional check-in. I know Him. I know He died for me. I know He rose for me. I know all that. So I'm just going to check in at Christmas and Easter. Maybe every four months or so, that's going to be me. And, and I want Jesus to be okay with that. But what if Jesus isn't? What if Jesus is a God who says, you know what, I, I'm not a God who just is okay with the occasional check-in. I'm the God who wants a relationship with you. And in order to have that relationship with you, we need to talk and talk daily. I want you to pray to me. And I want you to open my word so that I can talk to you. This is a relationship that I want. This is a God that I am. Would you say, whoa, that's a little too big of a commitment for me, Jesus. Uh, maybe I'll exchange you for the God who's okay with just the occasional check-in. We tell God, God, I want Jesus to be the God who, who's like my genie. I want Him to chill up in heaven until I have a problem or I need something, and then I can just say those magic words. You know what they are? In Jesus' name, Amen. And then Jesus springs into action and grants me my desire. We ain't never had a friend like Jesus, right? That's the God that I want. And Jesus says, that's not me. That's not me. I, I'm not here to fill your life with what you want your life to be filled with. Just like those, those people in John chapter 6, the feeding of the 5,000. I'm not here to just grant you your request after request after request. That's not me. I'm here to do bigger and better things for your life. What do we say? Ooh. Where's the gift receipt for this one? 
we want to tell God that what we want for Christmas is, is the Jesus who, who's okay or, or, or who's the cool dad. He's technically in charge, but he's not a buzzkill, and he doesn't want to tell us what to do and what not to do. And so he wants us to have fun. So uh, live however you want. Besides, I've forgiven you all your sins, so it's okay. But what if Jesus said, that's not me? I am the God who cares if you lust. I am the God who cares if you get drunk. I am the God who cares if you gossip. I am the God who cares if you have a big ego and, and you think your opinion's always right. I'm the God who cares if you sin. And I'm going to call you out on it. Would we say, oh, I definitely don't like this one. We want to tell God that we want a Jesus who is all about our earthly success. He's going to be behind our back. He's going to make us wealthy and healthy. He's going to make us powerful. He's going to make our careers successful. That's the Jesus we want. And Jesus says, I don't care about your kingdom. In fact, I don't want you to worry about your kingdom. I want you to be concerned about my kingdom. Because your kingdom's going to end. Mine lasts forever. We hear all these, and God says, this isn't who I am. And we say, well, if that's not who this gift is, can I exchange it? Can you give me a gift receipt? Because I want the God that I want, not this one. Now, if you're going to give a gift to somebody, and you know that they aren't going to like it, you know that they're going to return it, would you even bother giving the gift? No. I'm going to save my money. I'm not going to give you a gift that you're not going to appreciate. I'm not going to give you a gift that you don't want, that you're going to look to return. I'm not interested in giving you a gift like that. Think about this. God let Isaiah see 700 years before the gift was given that people were going to reject the gift that people weren't going to believe the gift, that people were going to despise the very gift that God gave. Now, if you were God and you had 700 years of sitting on this knowledge, actually more than that, because God is all-knowing, would you give the gift? Absolutely not. But that's the incredible thing about our God, because He did. And that's your second point. This Christmas, God gives you the gift. God gives us the gift we need. God gives us the gift. Despite the rejection, despite wanting something else, God gives us the gift of His Son. What child is this? He's the God who takes our sins away. Well, yeah, but can He do... No, 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 no. He's the God who takes your sins away. I know that, but can he? No. He's the God who takes your sins away. Do you know why sometimes we're disappointed with that? Because we fail to see just how big of a deal sin is. Yes, we know we need a Savior. Just like the people in the Old Testament and during Jesus' days, they, they knew they needed a Savior. But on our grand scheme of things, sin is like this big of a problem in our life. 
bigger problems in our life are this. My marriage problem, my financial problem, all these other problems, my health problems, all these other problems, these are bigger. I need a miracle. Yes, I need this taken care of, but I need this. But understand, if you stand before God on your own, do you know what He says? He takes one look at you and sees your sin, and He says, did a gift receipt come with this one? Because I don't want it. Without Jesus, God rejects you because of your sin. Without Jesus, God rejects me because of my sin. And yet, He gives us the gift that we need. The gift of His Son. What child is this? He is the God who died for our sins. God gives us this gift on Christmas. And what's He do? He grows up and He's rejected. And He's rejected. And He's rejected. He is despised. How badly? To the point where they dragged Him to the cross. And they crucified Him. And God allowed Isaiah to see that too. If we continued reading in Isaiah 53, Isaiah would get to verse 4 and 5 where he, was, where he would say about this child, He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on Him, and by His wounds we are healed. God allowed Isaiah to see this too. Despite the rejection, He would go to the cross, and He would be pierced and crushed so that our sins would be forgiven. You want to talk about not having beauty or majesty? You want to talk about not looking like a king? Look to Him on the cross where He's not dressed like a king. He's dying as a common criminal. And yet, do you know what else Isaiah saw? In verse 11, he said that after he actually predicts Jesus' resurrection, and then he says, through knowledge of my Son, through knowledge of this servant, and belief in Him, He will justify many. He will declare innocent those who know Him and those who believe in Him. Incredible. This God who is rejected declares us innocent. But wait a minute. We've tried to change Him. We've had all these improper uh, expectations of who He is. Will, will God just take the gift away? Yeah. Remember, Jesus was rejected, 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 and He still went to the cross. And on the cross, what did He cry out? About the people who were mocking Him and despising Him. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. That's the prayer He still prays in heaven for you, and that's the prayer that He still answers for you, as in, yes, they are forgiven. This Christmas, God gives you the gift that you need, and it's the gift of His Son. And what child is it? He is the child who takes away your sin. As we get ready to receive Him again on Christmas Eve, have proper expectations for this child. Anticipate what this child is going to do. He's going to grow up and he's going to take your sins away. Because when we have those proper expectations, when we anticipate what he is going to do, it's the greatest gift that we could ever receive.
How could we ever want to return him? How could we ever want to exchange him? He is a God who takes away our sin. May that fill you with joy and thanks this Christmas season. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise and thank you that you give us the gift of your Son, even when we don't appreciate it, even when uh, we want him to be someone else, you continue to give him to us. We thank you for the, for the forgiveness that he won for us at the cross, and we thank you that because of him, we have peace with you. Our sins are forgiven, death has been conquered, and we are at peace with you. We thank you that we are healed, and now help us to live lives for you. Help us to live with appreciation and with thanks for what Jesus has done for us. As we get ready to receive him this Christmas, let us have those proper expectations of what he's going to do. He is going to die for our sins, rise for, for, uh, to conquer the grave, and one day he will return to bring us with him back to heaven so we can be with you forever. So you can look at us and say, you are the gift I always wanted. We thank you for the gift this Christmas. Amen.